Hello, everyone, and welcome to FCC Talk. We are here to talk about all the things going on in uh, the Christian world and give you our ministry insights. Uh, of course, no politics or anything like that. We might get into some stories that involve politics, but that will never be the main topic of our conversation. With us today, we have Dan Stribling, worship minister here at First Christian Church. Dan, how you doing today? I'm good. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. Doing great. Uh, ready for Superstart this weekend. You ready to do that? Oh, I'm psyched. Yeah, <laughs> it's Elijah's first time going, right? He's going to have a really good time. He's a little nervous, but once we get there, I know he's going to have a ball. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, he's got his his table of boys and stuff like that that he hangs out with in the preteen class. That's right. Board, so he'll, uh, he'll have a fun time with them. He'll be, he'll be great. He's going to have a good time. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a great time. So, uh, well, Dan, we have some interesting news stories to get to. We're going to talk about SNL a little bit. We're also going to talk about some uh, degree requirements that are changing. And obviously, you are somebody who you homeschool your children. This might be something that could impact you. I am somebody who was formerly homeschooled for uh, most of my education, or at most about half of my education. And uh, so, there's obviously some questions there that we could talk about. And then we're going to think, uh, we're going to talk about a new theological claim. I guess it's not all that new, but it's resurfacing. This is something that mm-hmm. has been talked yeah. about before, and uh, we're going to give our thoughts on it a little bit. So you ready to get into the first one, Dan? Bring it on. All right. So SNL, Saturday Night Live, if you're not familiar, they did a skit, and the title of the article that I brought up is SNL skit shares the gospel, mentions Jesus's death and resurrection. Now, Yes, they did mention that Jesus died. They did mention that he <laughs> came back to life and, and was resurrected. However, the, the, the title was not exactly uh, you know, accurate to them making that the goal or the uh, example of everything that was going on in the skit. The skit is about four minutes long. We're not going to play it on here just because there are copyright issues and things like that. But if you want to go out and find the SNL church vacation skit, you can go out there and find it and uh, watch it for yourself. But Dan, essentially in this skit, there is a family of uh, four people, a father, a wife and two children, a son mm-hmm. and daughter. And this family is going to church in Jamaica while they're on vacation. Mm-hmm. Now they mentioned they're a Catholic family. And so there's obviously hilarity that ensues with different jokes, things like that. But it is striking that, you know, in this SNL skit, they, they do actually read from first Corinthians 13. They recite uh, a portion of that there. And they also do, while it is kind of in a comical fashion, they do, uh, and they're not making fun, at least I didn't take it as they were making fun of Jesus' death and resurrection, but in a kind of comical song, they did mention that. So, Dan, after watching this skit, uh, was your reaction to seeing it that they made light of Christianity, or did you kind of feel like, um, you know, it, it was something where there was an aspect of the Bible that you could appreciate? Just your, what is your overall reaction to this skit? Um, I didn't really personally have a very strong reaction to this skit either way. I know it made some waves. And I think just the fact that, you know, Jesus was mentioned on SNL and not being made fun of. I, I know in the article that you shared with me, I, I read the whole thing. And I remember this, too, years and years ago. SNL did a sketch where they basically did like a phony trailer with Jesus, like the ultimate revenge story. And it was Jesus coming back. And it was about the time Django Unchained came out. Mm 
And so they kind of, it was like Jesus Unchained or something like that. You know, very reverent and very, very, you know, um, uh, just, just really kind of insulting to anyone who's a, very disrespectful to Christians. Um, This was not, I thought, disrespectful at all. I, I didn't really think it was all that strong either way. I mean, the, the, the gospel was not preached right in this thing they mentioned jesus and and i've seen the original clip that they were spoofing with the jamaican pastors singing the under the blood thing and watching him do it is actually cool <laughs> it's yeah. actually cool watching the original clip because the guy you know you can tell different cultures we've all got kind of our own way of approaching worship and communication and this uh, in the original clip the jamaican pastor He's doing this song and weaving in preaching in the middle of it. It's really neat. Whereas this was just kind of like parodying the words. So I didn't really think there was any kind of statement one way or the other. Thankfully, they didn't, they didn't, there wasn't anything condemning. Um, And anybody who's been, who's been to church on their vacation can kind of identify with that. I even had an experience that was kind of like that myself, where I remember I was in high school. We went on a vacation to D.C., and on Sunday, uh, we were looking for a church to go to, and we ended up in a, um, I don't remember, it wasn't a Pentecostal church, but it was a very expressive black church, um, black community that we that where we went. And it was awesome. We had a wonderful time. Everybody was happy. We were there. We worshiped. We met some new people. Um, and it was a great experience, but you know, um, yeah, I just, yeah, it was fine. I, I, I I found myself thinking back to some of our like church vacation, you know, experiences and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, because my dad was similar to the, to the dad in the skit where he's like, no, even though we're on vacation, Vacation. it's Sunday, we're going to church. We're going to carve out time to, to work, you know, and I, I, I related with that a little bit. I was like, wow, an mm-hmm. SNL skit about church that I'm like somewhat relating to. Like it just yeah. was kind of baffling <laughs> to me because like you, I feel like most times on SNL or other places like that, it's kind of your stereotypical make fun of church, make fun of Christians yep. type of thing. Make fun of Jesus. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. But, and and as I was watching this, I was kind of waiting for that moment of like, well, we're going to make fun of this family here. We're going to make fun of Jesus. And it, I didn't get that sense a ton. I felt like there were some aspects where maybe if like I was sensitive, maybe I would have mm-hmm. felt it a little bit more, but um, I just, I never really got that. And that to me, that feels like a shift in entertainment from what we've seen in the past. Last week, yeah. Chris and I talked about how there's actually more I can people see that. out there who are uh, wanting like Christian entertainment and there are more Mm -hmm. people out there voicing this concern of like, don't just, you know, have stereotypes for Christians when you put them in movies, you know, we are right people. We don't like every other word, bow our heads and say a prayer, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. we are normal people as well, which, you know, again, we are different, but not to the extent that sometimes they stereotype us as, Um, but that aspect of it, I felt like, was very intriguing to see that is it possible here in the future we're going to see Christianity, Jesus, the church, things like that mentioned more in entertainment and not from a stereotypical sense and more from just like a, hey, this is something that Christians can relate to because we recognize 
many Christians grew up uh, in our country, and they have <laughs> laughter and things like that as well. Yeah. What do you think, Dan, about, about the future of kind of mentioning Christianity and entertainment? Do you kind of see it the same way I do, or do you kind of kind of see the same thing happening that what we've experienced in the past going on? Yeah, I kind of wonder about that. Over the years, there have been a couple of times where I've had that thought, where I've wondered if things are going to, you know, kind of soften up and become a little more, you know, or, or uh, you know, mentioning mentioning Christian topics, that sort of thing, or even just treating God with a certain level of respect is going to become a little more common. Or I've even had the thought of maybe these entertainment companies are going to start reaching into their Christian demographics. You know, that's a little more cold, but. Um, you know, at, at times I can remember, I remember when Bruce Almighty came out and I remember uh, that was not a particularly clean film, but I remember being struck by it because it was the first film I could think of in a long time where God was the good guy. You know, of course, Morgan Freeman playing the character of God in that. Uh, there was another time I remember when The Passion of the Christ came out. I had some similar thoughts to that. Um, and there have been other isolated incidences. And this is another one. You know, it's like, holy cow, in the mainstream media, they're actually, you know, they're depicting God and stuff and not in a negative way. Uh, but I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess time will tell. It's like every now and then something like this kind of seems to pop up where it's almost like, you know, a nod or, you know, a um, just kind of an accepting of, you know, Christianity, or at least, right. you know, not being brutal towards it. But then who knows what's going to come out next week? You know what I mean? So it, it, you never know. You never know. I mean, th there's, it, it's certainly possible in like in, in the pop culture shift anyway, that, you know, shows like the chosen putting up such big numbers, you know, people are definitely more interested now in Christian focused entertainment than they have been since probably the 90s, probably the last 30 years, I would think. So I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I felt I felt similarly to uh, when Evan Almighty came out and uh, yeah, <laughs> that one, because yeah. that was actually like a Bible story. Now, it was a modern mm -hmm. version of it, but that was actually like, you know, uh, and Bruce Almighty. And it I was guess, hilarious. Yes, I guess Bruce Almighty could be somewhat related to Job, I've heard, but it's not exactly, not quite the same way as it Almighty relates to Noah. So, but yeah. anyway, yeah, no, I think it's interesting to see. I kind of am with you, like where we might see this, you know, spike up for a little bit, but it seems to me like this is kind of the, the way things go. Like it's going to spike up for a little mm -hmm. bit and then people are going to just write back to, you know, Oh, but Christians are funny. So we're going to make fun of them here or whatever. And maybe I'm being right. Right. I have no idea, but, yeah, uh, but I don't think it's pessimistic. Way. Yeah. Uh, just kind of the way things are realistic or realistic. I mean, it, take it for what it is when it comes, you know what I mean? Just, I wouldn't, I, 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 one SNL skit's not enough for me to think that the tides are turning. But if we start seeing a bigger shift, you know, cool. I'm not going to be opposed yeah. to it. I'm just, I've seen it before and I'm not going to get my hopes. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think uh, also, and, and I'm reverting back to a little bit of the episode last week with Chris, where we talked about, you know, not only uh, the, uh, the chosen, but also that movie, the Hill on Netflix, which actually became number one at one point uh, in February, which was a Christian. Okay. Film I haven't baseball. seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's baseball. You might not be. I probably won't watch it. <laughs> 
but it's still it's an interesting. It's not all about mm-hmm. baseball. It's about a baseball player, but it's very well. And then there was that and... that camp movie last year, the A Week Away movie, which had the soundtrack that was really they had racked up a bunch of streaming numbers. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. who knows? We might see another resurgence, and it might stay, or it might go away. We'll see. It's a it's interesting. To we'll see at the very least. Mm-hmm. So, all right. And man, either way, ne- thank you, SNL, for not making fun of Jesus. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> we are very glad. For first me. time for everything. <laughs> We're very glad, and uh, hope you continue to do that. So, <laughs> all right, Dan. Let's go to our next topic here. More and more companies are ditching bachelor degree requirements for new hires. So, this was originally an article I found on Relevant Magazine. However, this morning, Dan and I both weren't able to pull it up, so I don't know if that will return. If so, I'm going to actually put both of these articles in the description for you to look at. But they don't both reference the same survey from ZipRecruiter that 45% of employees got rid of degree requirements for certain roles over the past year. So Mm -hmm. essentially what's happening here is we're seeing companies try to hire skill-based positions rather than some kind of like college degree or something like that. Now, I grew up uh, homeschooled until I got to middle school. Dan homeschools all of his boys. Well, your wife homeschools all of your boys. You support her, (laughs) You guys do it together. Uh, I don't want to leave Chris out at all. But you and you and Chris homeschool all of your boys. And mm-hmm. a, a big aspect, at least when I was being homeschooled, was developing skills. Not just learning, you know, education curriculum, but trying to figure out what are you good at? What kind of things can you do? What kind of things do you want to do in the future? And uh, so this is something that I feel like probably can connect with some Christians, especially Christians who are currently homeschooling their children. Dan, uh, with it been long known that sometimes, and actually a lot of times when kids go off to college, that's kind of where they lose their faith in a sense. Is it, is mm-hmm. this, is this an exciting development for Christian parents in your opinion? Hmm. Well, I mean, in, in terms of like being a Christian parent, I suppose so. I mean, it, I kind of separate like the undergrad versus the graduate, excuse me, like the high school versus the undergrad college level stuff a little bit. You know, I kind of think of them as two different worlds in terms of it being a good thing for, for, uh, Christian families. I mean, I don't see it as being a bad thing. I I've always kind of had the opinion that I think requiring somebody to have a college degree to perform a job is kind of silly. You know, there are definitely certain jobs which require, you know, a specific specific certification or there might be specific knowledge that's a barrier to entry. But I've seen this wall. I, at least I feel like I've watched this wall breaking down for like the last 18 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. I, I remember when I was being brought up the basically the the message that was put into my head it was that you must get a college degree it doesn't even matter specifically what it's in you must get a college degree okay fine so what did i do you know kind of hearing that message my entire life i went and i got a college degree and when i started because of course you know doing this which is far better than what i did before this but this is my second career i originally started off working in insurance and finance and some areas like that you know um cubicle world (laughs) was where i worked for a long time one of the things that i found out when i was 
applying for different positions, trying to you know move up the ladder, whatever you want to call it, was that um, once I got into the company, they, there was far more emphasis put on what I could do rather than what my credentials were. And I always felt like that I, all of a sudden, the necessity of skill became a lot more important to me in that. And it felt like, okay, so what? why did I bother getting this, this degree? You know, it just felt like I wasn't getting the mileage out of the piece of paper that I'd spent so much time and paid so much money to get. You know what I mean? So it just, I just feel like this is kind of a natural next step for people in general. Now, in terms of the church world, I think that this could be a very good thing because it, it puts more power into the hands of just anybody. And if we choose to homeschool our kids, um, there, there's going to be far less of a barrier to their success with these kind. With, if all you need to know is what a person can do, then who cares where they got the knowledge? It's more about who they are as an individual than rather who they are as a product of a system. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important because I know a lot of students and people like that, that, you know, they want to go off and get experience in doing things, you know, whether that experience be taking classes or whether that experience be working as an intern in some kind of situation. And to me, that has always been more valuable, like Mm -hmm. for getting a job. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I learned 10 times more about ministry on my internship than I ever did in the classroom. And I'm not trying to do the classroom or anything, but I've actually had uh, you know, high school and college age students come to me and say, you know, where should I go to school if I want to be a minister? And I tell them, well, should you go to school? You know, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I know that it kind of sounds crazy because I, like you was told all my life, you got to get mm-hmm. a degree. You got to have the education, bam, 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 bam. But then yep. I realized, and, and again, I know this isn't a politics show, but I bring it up for the sake of, you know, talking about it, that, you go into a lot of debt when you go into college and really the job that you get as a minister, you know, doesn't make the most <laughs> money in the world to pay off that debt. So again, yeah. I'm not trying to get into the politics of it all. However, but that is something to consider as well as if your job is something that doesn't make, you know, a large amount of money, does it really make sense for you to spend tens of thousands of dollars going to college just for you to have a whole lot of debt? to pay off in the long run. Uh, And that's what I think in this whole situation is better for homeschool Mm -hmm. children is because when they are being homeschooled in their high school years, they're able to do more things and volunteer and be involved in things that they can add to their experience so that someday if they know they want to be you know, say a cook or something like that. They can go to the restaurant and say, Hey, I've taken these cooking classes. I, I've worked in this kitchen or done this before. So I have the experience that, you know, makes me able to come in and do this kind mm-hmm. of job. So, um, Dan, would you agree with this statement? Does this new development change or this new development changes the future of homeschooling? Would you agree or disagree with that statement? That's a good question. I mean, can I be somewhere in the middle? I mean, I think that I think that it might, but the thing is is that in terms of homeschooling, homeschooling doesn't really provide a big barrier to entry for college. 
there's something of a stigma, I think, that goes along with homeschooling that, you know, and I, I remember, um, especially in the 90s, when I was being homeschooled back kind of in the days of the wild, wild west homeschooling, where um, it was this very kind of new fringe, small, not a lot of people were doing it kind of movement. And there was this general idea that, you know, um, you know, the, the, the Spuckler family from the Simpsons, you know, the hillbilly family with, you know, the 20 kids or whatever, that that was, that was what a homeschooling family looked like. And, uh, these people weren't going to college anyway. So who cared where they got their education? I don't really think that that is completely inaccurate. It is completely inaccurate. And so being homeschooled is not even a barrier to going to college these days. And most homeschool kids do. Um, Right. So, I just meant, well, like the idea of like being able to hone your skills and your talents with more freedom when you're homeschooled. Because mm-hmm. obviously, if you're going to public school or something like that, you have classes that you have to attend. And I'm not saying that public schools can't. Okay. Do that. Please don't hear that. Yeah. However, I am saying that there is more freedom in homeschooling because you know you mm-hmm. have <laughs> you know you have your subjects sure. done. But and if people yeah. don't know, when you're homeschooled, typically you you get your schoolwork done a lot quicker and you're able to do things oh, absolutely. a lot faster. Uh, my yeah. brother, when he was homeschooled, he would get his schoolwork done in two to three hours because he would just yeah, grind same and get here. it done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, because you move it. The, the, the two greatest advantages to being a homeschooler or to homeschooling your kids, A, obviously the first greatest advantage is control over the curriculum. So you have the freedom, especially as a Christian parent, because homeschooling is still primarily a Christian parent-driven thing. And the reason for that is because we want our kids to be able to have a solid biblical foundation on top of the the standard subjects, knowledge that kids need to have. The second greatest advantage of homeschooling is the ability to customize it for the specific kid. Once again, it becomes about becoming an individual more than becoming a product of the system. You're not being pushed through the exact identical pipeline that every other kid is being pushed through. And so you're able to do things like move at your own pace. I was that kid who, when I was homeschooled, I would be done with my schoolwork in a couple of hours. I'd get up, do my chores in the morning, knock out my schoolwork, and then be able to do whatever the rest of the day held. Other times, and because I've seen this with my own kids, sometimes you need a little bit of extra time in one thing over another thing. You're able to do this when you homeschool, whereas when, when, a, when a kid goes through a school system, you you got to follow the system, and some kids excel in the system. Some kids are left behind in the system. Most kids are somewhere in the middle. So um, homeschooling kind of allows you to chop off those extremities and do something which is really going to bring out the individual rather than just, you know, see how they did in the system setting. Right. And I, and I see the, the pros and cons on both sides. You know, my wife is a public. School There's teacher. always pros and cons. Yep. Yeah. And that's the thing is like in, in today's world, sometimes we can get so caught up with what's the right choice. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. we can think about what's the right choice, you know, for everybody. But then we can also think about, well, these are my children and I know them best. Mm-hmm. And, you that's know, right. What's the right choice for them, you know? And yep. I'm thankful we, we live where we do that there are options and not everybody yep. has to, you know, go and, uh, you know, do something and there's not freedom to have your children, you know, be educated in different ways. I mean, there's private school, public school, Excuse homeschooling, me. they're all different kinds of things. So anyway, all different things, lots of options and information now is easier to access than it ever has been. 
I remember when I was a kid in our schoolroom, we had a like what 30, 40 volume encyclopedia Britannica set on the wall. And I, we would reference that thing for a lot of the school stuff that we did. You got to go find the right volume and pull it down and flip through the pages. I can find that and more detailed information in seconds with a Google search now. So the, it's the, the entire landscape is different than it was. Yeah, I remember every year back to school shopping for us was going to the big uh, Christian homeschooling warehouse where <laughs> essentially all of the moms who had uh, kids before, they dropped off their books that, you know, were in good enough condition that they could still be used. And yep. then the other moms mm-hmm. would come in and they would take the books. And it would be like this huge warehouse and you feel like you're in like Sam's Club or something. But imagine the entire Sam's Club is just like homeschooling curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd walk around with a basket and try to carry everything with you. And, you know, and then you'd get home and you'd realize, oh, shoot, I forgot math for, you know, third grade or whatever. It right, be. right, it's, right. It's a very simple term for it. But, uh, you know, it, it, so it was funny. Uh, right now, it, a lot of it's online, which is <laughs> a lot nicer. Oh, my gosh. The Internet has changed everything. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. crazy crazy all right uh dan well let's get to our uh our last subject here before we move on to kind of some of the some of the final stuff so essentially this is a belief that has been held or i don't know if it's been held but an idea that has been out there by theologians for quite some time however Mm -hmm. it is kind of resurfacing and kind of being delivered in a different way this is typically what happens is somebody says well this new theologian has this new belief uh but Really, in reality, a lot of these beliefs and these thoughts have been regurgitated just in a new way. But uh, the title of the article is Theologian Claims Noah's Noah's Flood Was Regional, Not Global. So there Mm -hmm. are some issues possibly here because if a theologian believes that the flood was just regional, then that would mean that only part of the earth was flooded. However, the Bible tells us that the entire world was flooded, right? It Mm -hmm. wasn't just Asia. It wasn't just, you know, Indiana or something like that, that it was the entire world. And essentially, this new theologian uh, in an interview uh, uh, is is talking about the Genesis 6 narrative about regional uh, event for the huge earth, that it was just a regional event and not all over the globe. So I could go into a long idea of this entire a belief system and theology sure. and these different kinds of things and probably put some people to sleep. So I'm not going to do that, but <laughs> you know, Dan, just with a very basic idea of the uh, theologian theological belief that the, the flood was regional and not global. Have you heard this before and how much validity either now or in the past have you given to this idea? Well, I got to be careful with this one because this is actually a very, very sensitive topic because it speaks to a much deeper subject than just whether or not it was or wasn't this specific thing. This kind of hits at the heart of how we go about understanding scripture and what scripture means and our specific understandings of some very specific parts of scripture, you know, because this kind of debate is going to activate two sides primarily in in the Christian faith you're going it's going to activate the people who are extreme literalists 
about the Bible and believe that, well, because the Bible used this very specific terminology, that there is absolutely no margin for interpretation because it used this specific phrasing. And then it's also going to activate the other side of people who believe that it not necessarily in a particularly 100% literal interpretation of the scripture, but more in terms of what is the heart behind the scripture or what is the truth that the scripture is trying to communicate beyond just the specific verbiage. So there's a couple of different camps kind of at work here. I heard this, my goodness, I was young the first time I heard this theory promoted. I was probably 10, 11 years old. The only reason I even remember it that specifically is because at church at the time, we were watching through a video series talking about the historicity of scripture and some of those kinds of things. And this was actually mentioned in there because of some geologic evidence, stuff like that. And I'm not a scientist, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a geologist, but, um, I, I do think, I have, I have a lot of thoughts. I, I actually have a lot of thoughts. And that's because this is a very, very, this activates a very, very deep kind of subject matter. Right. What, what my, what my question to everybody fighting over this sort of thing is, is what was the point of the flood narrative? Right. What was the point of the flood narrative? The point of the flood narrative was to showcase God's superiority to showcase God's moral righteousness and to showcase the power that God had over humanity. Mm-hmm. I, I believe a hundred percent that when the scripture says that the whole earth was covered by the flood, that all n- people on the planet were wiped out, that that was the purpose of the flood, that God was bringing judgment and that God used this catastrophic weather event, whatever you want to call it, to wipe out humanity except for Noah, his sons, and their wife. Um, Now, whether that means literally, geographically, the entire earth was covered in water at the time, let's put it this way. If, If a tree falls down in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? You know what the answer is? Who cares? No one was there to hear it. <laughs> it's beside the point. You know, if if God decided to destroy the whole world with a flood, but there was some area on in the south, like the Antarctic continent that didn't have water on it, does it really matter? It doesn't matter. Nobody was there to record it anyway. The, the book of Genesis is written from the perspective of the people who experienced the events. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and of course, and, and so to me, these kind of debates actually diminish what the scripture was trying to teach us in the first place. Right. The point of the story is not was the entire, because at that time they didn't even know the world was round. You know what I mean? Was the entire circular globe. They thought the water just fell off the sides. Just fell off the sides, right? (laughs) Was the entire circular globe covered in water? It doesn't matter because nobody was there to, you know, as far as Noah was concerned, the entire earth was destroyed by the flood. And that's what God told Noah that he was going to do. Right. That's the point of the story. So I think that we just. I think we make a big deal out of the secondary things and we don't make the primary thing, the primary thing. 
Right. And, and I get why, you know, there, there can be theological debates about it. And I do think there are times and places for it. But you're exactly right. Like in our situation where we are, you know, primarily just trying to learn what is the purpose of this passage, mm-hmm. there, there's no reason for the big, long debate. Now, if you're getting into a debate with somebody who believes in, you know, a very, very strict, not not strict, uh, but a very powerful progressive Christianity where they diminish any words that don't come from Jesus and just say that, you know, oh, well, this person wasn't Jesus. So, uh, you know, the scripture wasn't inspired because if you, if you study progressive Christianity, that's what it always comes back to is that scripture is not the entire truth that yes, what Jesus said is the truth, but scripture is not. Anyway, that's not the point of the conversation here, but I, I know what you see, mean. Yeah. I can see that uh, being a time when we need to discuss this more and get into that. I was first, uh, first became aware of some of these kind of beliefs when, when I was in middle school and I went to camp, I went to camp and I started talking to a kid from another church and we became good friends and we were talking and there was a lesson at camp about us. I forget. It was one of the stories in the old Testament. It might've been a talking donkey. Uh, I can't remember for sure, but anyway, um, you know, we were talking about this and, and I said something along the lines of like, man, God can just really do anything. It's, it's crazy how many things he did in the old Testament. And my friend looked at me and he said, well, you know, none of those things actually happened, right? And I said, what? <laughs> I mean, this blew my mind. I never even thought of this idea when I was in middle school. I just thought, right. you know, oh, everything is literal in the Bible and everything that happened. And I'm not saying it's not. Please don't hear me say that. But sure, this, absolutely. You know, it was kind of like a revelation to me. And so I asked him a little bit more. I was like, well, what do you mean? He was like, well, the world was never flooded. Job wasn't real. He talks about how, like, you know, all these kings and stuff like that. Like Solomon didn't actually have a dream to figure out if he, you know, to, to be asked what he wanted. And, you know, he was just a very smart man. And so God gave him that story to write down and all these things. And I thought to myself, Oh my word, you know, have I been lied to about the Bible all my life? Yeah. Um, and I went home and I asked my dad about it. I said, dad, you know, are all these things that happen in the Bible real? And he said, son, you know, he said, John, I, I believe they are. He said, but at the end of the day, if they aren't, does that change the fact? <laughs> what does that? Jesus- yeah. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Does that change the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you and saved you from your sins? And I was like, well, no, but is that real? And he was like, yes, that is 100% real. We have a lot of proof right. for why that's real. <laughs> right. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of what my dad was getting at was like, let's keep the main things, the main things. Obviously, if there requires a deeper discussion, we get it, can get into it. But oh, yeah. as long as as long as Jesus came and died on the cross and, you know, has made a way back to heaven for us with with God. That's that's the most important one. <laughs> right. And I and I think too one of the things that we have to understand is that the the what God has given us in the scriptures is the information that he wants us to have. You know, and and what he and what is what is God's primary desire with connecting with to connecting with us through the scriptures. God's primary desire is to both teach us about himself and to draw us closer to him. Yep. You know, and the Old Testament, if you want to know about the characteristics of God, the nature of God, what his value system is, how he, you know, interacts with people, how he corrects, how he provides all these different pieces of his character, read the Old Testament because it will teach you about this is who God is, right? And I think sometimes we we just, like you said, we don't make the main thing the main thing. 
We, God gave us this information for a very specific purpose, and that was to know and connect with him. It wasn't specifically to teach us about our history as human beings. It wasn't to provide us with you know, hidden secrets to the universe to unlock mysteries and hidden potentials and all these kinds of things. It was to know and love him. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, and I, I remember when I was a freshman in college, and that was something that one of my professors said, as he said, hey, try reading the Old Testament. He said, but don't read it to know history. Don't read it to have mm-hmm. good morals. He said, just read the Old Testament to know God. To know God. He said, mm-hmm. if you will just read the Old Testament just to know God better, that will completely change the way you read it. And so I started Absolutely. Doing I started Absolutely. doing that where I said, okay, I'm going to take in, even in Exodus, I found, you know, descriptions that God gave of himself because before I was, you know, reading the story and, oh, okay, what happens in the story? Because that's kind of what you're taught when you're a kid, right? And I think that's good. Yep. I'm not trying to say that, you know, because <laughs> I, I do that to a certain extent in kids' ministry as well. It's the story mm-hmm. of it all that helps, you know, put it together for kids. But as you get older, you realize that, like, okay, there's aspects of God in this story that I need to learn about who he is and not just mm-hmm. that, you know, Moses came down from the mountain with two tablets and ten <laughs> commandments written yeah. on Make sure you remember all 10 of those. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Who is God in giving those commandments? Why did God want to have, you know, uh, his, his people obey him and follow him? Those Mm -hmm. kind of things. It it just, I think it really opens your mind more to the entire old Testament and really just to God overall. Absolutely. I mean, this is how a person can can study the Bible for decades and still never know God. I mean, think about historians for years have used the Bible to establish historical timelines because the Bible does do a very good job in the historic books of the Bible in tracking, you know, this happened here, this battle was here and those sorts of things. There's a very, very good record of history in there. And you can study that kind of stuff for years and never actually see the God who was working behind it all. Right. You know, it's very, very much about the perspective that you bring. It's like, am, am I am I reading am I reading the Old Testament to confirm what I already believe about the Old Testament, or am I reading it to try to meet and know the God who inspired it, you know, and want to know me? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And having wisdom is knowing God and fearing him. And absolutely <laughs> you know God and fear him if you don't if you don't you don't know him. This. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Great discussion there, Dan. Really appreciate your thoughts on that one. We'll go ahead and get into a couple more things here, which are just kind of more uh, personal and kind of off the cuff stuff. But uh, Dan, is there anything that you're eating, anything that you're watching, anything that you're reading that's (laughs) new lately you want to share with the people? Oh, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't do a whole lot. I'm a really simple guy. But lately I had a stroke of genius. I had it. Okay. Okay. Pair parenting hack coming here you know i'm not the greatest parent in the world i do my best but i'm 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 I'm, you know pretty clueless most of the time but you know i was i was looking for a way recently to connect with my kids and so i've started watching anime with my boys we've started watching anime together and that has you know really given us something fun to bond over it's been a really really good time but i've also realized um with it there's a lot of really good Japanese entertainment out there. And one thing that I, that I've noticed is like in American entertainment, I feel like we've kind of lost the distinction between good guys and bad guys. It's like, I feel like there's not really good guys and bad guys in, in 
American entertainment everywhere. It's it's more like everybody is bad and we're just trying to see who comes out on top. You know, whereas in some of these animes that I've been watching, you know, it's like there's the good guys protecting Earth and protecting innocent people. And then there's the bad guys. And it's just a clash. It reminds me of like Star Wars and, you know, that kind of old thing, the dark side versus the light side. You know, and I appreciate that because I think my kids need more of that. Okay, there is light and there is darkness and they clash and light must prevail over darkness. So I just think that that's kind of cool. That's interesting. And it's it's evident in uh, superhero culture and stuff like that today, too. Right. One of the Mm -hmm. most well-known superheroes, Superman. Right. He's one of the most Mm -hmm. well-known. And it's very obvious. Superman is the light. He is the hero. He is the one that's going to stop the bad guy. But then you get into some of these other, you know, quote unquote heroes like a like a daredevil or even like a Batman or something like that, where it's like they they are kind of in the darkness. They're doing good things, but it's kind of in a questionable way where it's like, oh, is he really a hero? Is he not? Yeah. uh, Yeah, that's interesting to think about. The thing I've always liked about Batman is he has a moral code. Yes. You know, and so does Superman. They don't kill. This was the big problem with Man of Steel all those years ago was that at the very end, Superman killed General Zod, which there's some debate upon, you know, whether that was necessary, blah, blah, blah. But um, the, the one that gets what what's the most anticipated superhero movie right now in our culture? Oh, I don't know. I don't pay attention to the movies. <laughs> which one? Deadpool three. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard Who's Deadpool? One. Have you ever seen Deadpool? Uh, no, it's it's too. Uh, yeah, you don't you don't want to because and Deadpool <laughs> is absolutely a huge character. Yeah, and he is is he good? Is he bad? He's neither. Right? He has no qualms with killing, murdering to his heart's content. And if he just so happens to be doing something that benefits humanity, great. You know, but that that kind of character is, uh, I don't know, to me, not particularly worth looking up to yeah no i i i agree and it's it's something our culture kind of craves i think in a way because i think people want to feel like they can do the right thing but they also want to feel like they can do their own thing and so what what turns uh you know what i want into the right thing it's well <laughs> it's this idea is it good for i me? can do what yeah, i want do I like at the end it? of the day yeah i'm a good person and it's like well yeah maybe what <laughs> At the end of the day, doing the right thing oftentimes doesn't mean doing the thing that you want because it's about mm-hmm. other people doing those things. So that's right. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm getting ready to watch March Madness basketball. I love March Madness basketball. So I know you won't be partaking in that, Dan, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I will. I do. I do. Uh, I look forward to March Madness every single year. It's probably my favorite, like half week or whatever, or a couple of weeks or whatever, how long it is. Because uh, the games are only played in like half a week, but then they start the next week. So, however long it technically is, but one of my favorite sports times of the year. Uh, Super Bowl, I, I don't like as much as uh, other things, but when March Madness comes around, I'm all into it. So, that's awesome. All right. I'm uh, so Dan, happy for you. You've got a great month coming. (laughs) I knew you would be. Uh, Dan, is there a Bible verse or anything that's been on your heart lately you want to share with everybody? Yeah, I'll share this one quick little verse. I shared this the other day in our staff meeting, and I just this one kind of hit me because of uh, Chris's sermon this last Sunday where he was talking about, you know, as people, we experience hills and valleys, and he used the analogy of being on a train track, you know, through the day, switching lanes. Things are good. Things are bad. We're back and forth. 
you know, and for me, you know, I've always kind of really connected with the analogy of a roller coaster, you know, life being like a roller coaster where even in a specific day, you could be up, you could be down. Sometimes life puts you in a corkscrew and you spiral. I mean, there's just all these different emotions and things that we can feel. And we're even in a single day, we can be in multiple places emotionally and mentally. We can be all over the place. And so sometimes through all that, um, I, I, I've experienced this and I know people can have anxiety. It's like, you know, am I, am I still saved? Am I still loved? Is God still active in my life? Is Jesus still in my heart? And the answer is yes. And and one of the verses that gives me a lot of confidence in that is John 14, 15. This is right. This is during the last supper where Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. He's about to be betrayed by Judas in the garden and everything's about to go down. And he looks at his disciples and he makes the statement. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. It's a very simple little statement. If you love me, obey what I command. He looks at his disciples and he says, this is how you express your love for me. You do what I've told you to do. And that for me, you know, you can, you could take a really legalistic view of that and say that it's about rule following, but it's really not because what this says is, you know, no matter how I feel, no matter whether I'm up or down or going through a corkscrew, If I love Jesus, I express that to him through living in a way that honors him and following the commandments that he's given me, you know, and that transcends my feelings because that is shown through my actions. So I just, I just encourage anybody who's listening today that, you know, you're going to feel all kinds of different things today. Maybe you're listening to this in the car on the way to work. You have no idea what the day is going to throw at you. But despite all of that, no matter how you're feeling, if you if you live the way that Christ has commanded us to live, you are showing that you love him and he sees that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the most impactful prayers that I've prayed in my life are, you know, God, I, I, I'm going through this or I'm feeling this or whatever, you know, just mm-hmm. sharing what is going on with him. And then at the end saying, but I still trust you and I'm, you know, I'm going to do what you've you've commanded, even though I have these, right points, even though I have this going on, like, I think that's, oh, what Psalm is that, that it's kind of referenced like that Psalm 13, I think it is where he's, he's going on about how terrible things are and everything. And then at the very end, he says, but I still trust you and I know that's your right. love is for me. So I'm going to obey you. And it's that's like, right. That just kind of encompasses everything. And it's, it can be said in the good too. Like, God, I know everything is going well in my life but I'm still going to trust you because you are the one in control. Mm-hmm. It's not me. That's right. I'm still going to trust you and obey you. So that's right. Yeah. Thanks Obedience, for that, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Obedience is so say. important. Yes. Yes, it is. So, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening to FCC talk. We appreciate it. Dan, you got anything else to say before we get out of here? Nope. Just hope everybody has a great day. Thanks for tuning in. We love you guys. All right. Love you guys. See you next time on FCC talk.